I was originally scheduled to speak to you on October 30th, the day of the freak snowstorm. And it has crossed my mind that that might have been an indictment of what I'm going to say. And so I came in this morning and I felt a little better until the heat didn't work. <laughs> so <clears throat> with a little bit of fear and trepidation, I'll do the best I can. Now, it would be a massive statement of the obvious to say to any member of this church community that talking about money in everyday life is a hard problem, especially in the fourth year of an absolutely awful economy. But what is interesting is how difficult it is for us to talk about money in church. And especially in this church community, that's a little surprising. We talk about all kinds of difficult spiritual things as a family. We give painful testimonies in church. We are open and honest by and large with each other, and yet it's still very, very hard to talk about money. Now, why is that? Well, some of the reason has to do with the limited models that we use to discuss money. The two that I'm most familiar with in my 30 years of thinking about this is the vestry model and the tithing model. The vestry model is we're not meeting the budget. Uh, we need more money. Pledge more. The tithing model. The priest says, it says in the Bible, you should tithe. We're not doing that. Pledge more. Now, they're both true. They're both true. If you read Diane's letter, we definitely need the money. And if you ask Father Michael, he will show you the text. The problem is that using those models to develop the conversation that we have ends up being about as uplifting as a root canal. <laughs> the second thing that's striking about our, our talking about money is how rarely we do it. Um, by convention, discussing money is limited to a couple weeks in the fall and maybe the annual meeting. Now, isn't that interesting? I worked 70% of my life for money. Uh, an awful lot of the decisions and worries I have are denominated in money. The Bible tells us that money is a potential source of corrosive sin, and we talk about it once a year. Hmm. Now, maybe I'm overstating the problem, okay? Uh, because I'm, I'm suggesting that money is not well integrated into our church life. I'm also suggesting that we have to reframe the subject. The subject is not stewardship. The subject is worshiping God with money, and that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we more effectively worship God with money? But is there really a problem? We get by. Now, the first point on that is that getting by is a pretty doggone low standard. Uh, we don't get by in any other area of our church life. The women met yesterday, and there were 30 women there. The men's group meets on Saturday morning. We've got missions all over New England. We make priests and deacons in this church out of all proportion to, to our numbers. In our liturgy, in our worship, and our teaching, we don't settle for getting by. That is not a standard that's in our DNA as a church community getting by. And I'm not even sure we're getting by. Now, just suppose for a moment that the Archangel Michael appears in the parish hall with the letters of the great commandment written in, in fire over his head. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And there it is in the air. Now, you know what I said, the Archangel Michael, not the Archdeacon Michael, 
although they're frequently confused. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Two more angels are at the back, and they start tapping people. And the assignment that you have when you go down to the parish hall is to defend us as a church community in some area of ministry. Somebody's going to get prayer, somebody's going to get outreach, somebody's going to get our music ministry, somebody's going to get what we do with the poor, somebody's going to get how we witness to one another. Do I have any volunteers for stewardship? The once-a-year root canal? If they tap me, I'm going to be at the head of the line for any other topic than that, any other topic than money, which we avoid talking about like the plague. So I think we do have a problem. And the problem is integrating our, our life with money into our life in the church. Now, what are we going to do about it? Well, I, I first would like to point out what we don't want to do. Two of my favorite people, Lucy and Charlie Brown, are leaning against the fence. And Lucy says to Charlie Brown, Discouraged again, Charlie Brown? You know what the trouble with you is? The whole trouble with you, Charlie Brown, is that you're you. And what in the world can I do about that? I don't claim to give advice. I'm just here to point out the problem. One, we can't get discouraged. And there's no reason to be discouraged. There is help available to us in the liturgy, in the Bible, from the Holy Spirit, and from our experience as a church family. There's no need to get discouraged. We can do a lot better here. And secondly, if we're going to do better, we can't just point out the problem. Okay? We actually have to do something different. Right? And doing something different may be difficult for us. It may be a struggle, but it's entirely possible. And I have two suggestions on what different looks like. The first one is that we listen to the liturgy and read the Bible to include our life with money. Let me give you some examples. The first corporate collect that we use today. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Do you hear secrets about money in there or not? Because we should. Secrets about money. They're not secret from God. And just because we don't talk about it for 11 and a half months doesn't mean that there aren't issues, secrets. How about when the deacon on, bids us to confession? That's on page 15. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent you of your sins. Now, when we hear the sins in that passage or in the confession, do we think about sins with money? Or do we just think about anger and unforgiveness? Okay, and wall off all the area of our life outside of church. What do you hear when the deacon bids, bids us to come to confession? We need to hear sins about money. Secrets and sins. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Do you remember them? Uh, they sell a plot of land, divide the money, give some to the church, keep some for themselves, and lie about it. And Peter says to them, you have not lied to men, you have lied to God. And Ananias, then Sapphira, dropped dead. Lies about money have consequences. Lies about money are serious. Secrets, sins, and lies. We have to listen in the liturgy and, and read the Bible 
to incorporate our life with money. Let me give you a very, very familiar passage in Matthew. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How often, when we hear passages like that, do we sort of add a footnote? Now, I know that most of you people out in the pews are not rich. If you're middle class, on a fixed income, or just getting by, don't worry about it. You don't have enough money to get in the way of your relationship with God or block you from the kingdom. Now, we all know it doesn't say that, but the larger point is it is not true. Every one of us has enough money to impair our relationship with God and block our path to the kingdom. Now, now let me reinterpret that passage in, in what I find to be a little bit more practical form. I am drowning in the sea of contemporary life. Here's the surface, and I'm about four feet down and sinking. In one hand, I've got a grip on the mortgage. In the other hand, I've got the car keys, both arms around a flat-screen TV. My hopes of retirement are hooked to my belt, pulling me down, and my fears about whether I'm going to have to support my mother or my kids are pulling me down on the other side, and I'm looking down into the depths, in the darkness, murmuring about the bills. Fortunately, our Lord Jesus Christ is kneeling on the surface, reaching his hand into the water for me and calling my name. The issue is, can I respond? Can I turn? Can I look up? But most importantly, can I relax my death grip on my things enough to take his hand? That's the existential question here. So the first thing that we have to do is listen to the liturgy and read the Bible and read our life with money into it. The second thing we need to do is use the four decisions about worshiping God with money to build a kind of spiritual discipline that will transform this area from an area of silence, weakness for us, into an area of strength. Four decisions, not one. The first of these decisions is the decision to pledge. It's not how much to pledge, that's decision two. Decision one is whether to pledge. Now, a pledge should be a promise to worship and pray to God with money. It should not be a promise to pay taxes, a promise to share the expenses, a promise to join a club. A pledge should be a promise week by week to pray with money. Whether you feel like it or don't, whether you're in church or not, okay, and whether you've had a good week or a bad week. It's a promise to pray. Now, what we miss about pledging is that we miss the fact that it is both an individual issue and a corporate issue. The individual part, we sort of get, okay, but not entirely. The individual part is that this is the first step in building spiritual discipline for us. Okay? If you don't take it, the rest of the steps don't matter because you've made no statement that you intend to pray, you're just going to kind of let things go along and get by. That part we see. The part that is more important that we get is how important a pledge, not amount yet, but a pledge is corporately. How often has Father Michael 
talk to us about the fact that your presence in the pews is both an act of evangelism and an act of building up our corporate response to God. Our presence, so is your pledge. What effect do you think it has on the vestry? One more pledge. I'll tell you what the effect is. There's one more person promising to be with us, and the vestry who's taken on the responsibility of guiding the church sits up a little straighter and feels a little better. Okay? What's the effect on our priests of one more pledge? There is going, somebody else is going to be with me in our journey next year. It is not a private matter. It is not simply between you and God. It's between whether you're going to build up the community or you're not going to build up the community. That's decision one. We only have 31 pledges. There should be more. Decision two, how much to pledge? This is where all the angst comes in. Well, let's, the, the first answer to this is that you should pledge in accord with the great commandment. That's on our liturgy, page six, right under the collect for purity. That's what is written over the Archangel Michael's head. Now, everybody can pledge, and everybody should, and everybody can pledge in accordance with the great commandment. Not everybody can pledge the same amount, but everyone can respond to the great commandment, and that's what we need to do. <clears throat> Let's reframe the Archangel Michael's visit. And the Archangel Michael appears in page 15 of our liturgy in, in the prayers of the people. And when you get to the prayers of the people, I'd sure like you to remember him in the parish hall. This time, the question is going to be one at a time. How did you respond to the great commandment with your money? The question is not going to be time, talent, and treasure. Hmm, two out of three is not bad. Okay, I, I can get by on that. So the great commandment then says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but don't worry about your money. That's no part of it. So 70% of my life is excluded, and, and my life with God becomes simply Sundays. That cannot be what the great commandment means. All right. So pledge in accordance with the great commandment. All right. Secondly, and I promised Father Michael I would at least say the word Advent once. <laughs> the Advent gospel today is taken from uh, Luke 21. Now, that positioning is important because in Luke 22, we get the Last Supper and Jesus' arrest and the, and the Passion proceeds. So this is the last chapter before the Last Supper. And I find it hugely significant that that far along in Luke's narrative, in the first four verses of Luke 21, you find the purest example in the Gospels of worshiping God with money. And that's the widow's offering. It's right there in the same chapter. The contrast is between rich people, read us, and the widow, and the widow gives everything she has, and the widow goes home justified. The point of that positioning shows you how important our Lord feels the issue is of money. All the way to the end, he's still reaching for us and still trying to keep us from drowning. So how much should we pledge? I'm drowning, and I've got my stuff clutched. Is it good enough for me to move my elbow and a couple of pennies drop out? Is it good enough, you know, to do it like that? <laughs> the only thing that's going to work here is to relax your grip in a significant way on your stuff and take his hand. 
and, and, and that's what we're called to do. Everyone can pledge in relation to the great commandment, and everybody should. That's the second step in spiritual discipline. Now, the third one is going to surprise you, and it shouldn't. You plan to exceed your pledge. How's that grab you? Well, that's the same thing as getting by. I came to this church seven years ago, and I was absolutely horrible at private prayer. Uh, now I'm just bad. <laughs> but it's better. Next year, I hope to be mediocre. Right? We don't settle. We are a church of pilgrims. We are moving. We're trying to find a place in French Hill. We want our own church. We want to be... On- so taking an area as big and important as this and settling for just meeting your pledge is a mistake. And we should celebrate it. We talk about how many people are in church. We never talk about how many pledges we have. We don't talk about whether, whether, when things go up. We don't talk about exceeding them. And we have to learn how to do that in a way that builds us up. We need a better model. We need a better vocabulary. The model is worshiping the Lord with money. And the vocabulary we will have to develop. And that's decision three. Decision four. The, fi- the, the fourth strand in spiritual discipline is do it with joy. Now, how's that for a non sequitur? A bunch of Anglicans giving a lot of money with joy. Does that warm your heart or what? But it matters. The spirit with which we proceed here is important. Let's consider the Pharisee and the tax collector. What's the Pharisee's problem? It's not the amount of money he gives. Thank God I'm not like this tax collector. I pray twice a day and give a tenth of what I have. And yet the tax collector is the one that that the Lord points out. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What's the problem? The Pharisee is building up the Pharisee. This is not about giving God money. This is about getting money out of the way so that we can reach and take God's hand and proceed. That's what it's about. The Pharisee's not doing that. Now, that's not the only example. Another one I like is, is we could have avoided Cain's first murder. We could have avoided history's first murder. What's the problem with Cain's offering? I don't think it's the amount. I think it's the attitude. And the Lord regarded not Cain's offering, and Cain was very angry. Huh. Joy. The offertory is the only point in the liturgy where the world in which I live touches the altar. If that's going to be a perfunctory 15 seconds of all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have I given thee, that's a mistake. It should be a time of joy. The joy, thanks be to God for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, and thanks be that I can offer something back. If it's not going to be that, then, we, then we're back in the, in the problem of a poor model. So the, the fourth issue is joy. Do we come to church with joy? Sure we do. I do. Okay. Do we do everything to the glory of God with joy? Sure we do. Why can't we do it here? We can, and the answer is we can. So the issue is reframe this from stewardship to worshiping God with money. Four, to read the Bible and the liturgy to see our life with money in there, not exclude it, not read us out of it, not sort of pretend that the, that the eye of the needle problem doesn't apply to us. 
But then the big issue is practically to work through each of the decisions. Everyone can pledge. We should be a church of 100% pledges. Everyone can pledge in accordance with the great commandment. It'll just look a little different, one to another. Everyone can exceed their pledge. A dollar. Plan on it. And we can do it with joy. It takes practice, but we can do it. Thanks be to God for the gift of salvation. And Father Michael, if there's time someplace, could we do the doxology? Someplace in the service. Because I think that would be what I'm looking for. Amen.